Hey there, all you ghouls and goblins. Radio 85.9 proudly presents Horror Zoid with your hosts, Stevie Scares and Natalie Nightmare. Today's episode is brought to you by The Cozy Coffin, now featuring deluxe satin lining interior. Order now and receive a free bag of O negative. Welcome back, everyone, to Horrorzoid. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Here we are, episode three. I don't know when we're going to stop keeping track, but I'm pretty proud of the run we're on right now. Same. Absolutely. We are really enjoying this, really having fun. We've talked about our favorite movies. We've talked about our favorite genre and slashers. But now we're going to talk about another favorite genre of ours that we haven't really delved into yet. Probably our second favorite genre of film, and that is... Vampires. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Vampire murder. Um, that's what we're talking about today. We're, we've been really excited all week to fucking record this episode because right. nothing for me personally I'm probably more passionate about than vampires. Pretty sure I was that annoying teenager that scared everybody because of my obsession with it. You know, what's funny is we didn't put va- any vampire movies in our top five, either one of no. us. We didn't even talk about them in our honorable mentions. And I think that's another reason why we wanted to start the podcast in our first few episodes about talking about breaking down some of our favorite genres. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the top five films gives you kind of like a Cliff's Notes version of who we are. It's kind of like trying to oversimplify ourselves. When really when we delve into these genres, I think it's going to give you a better idea of who we are as fans of the genre, as fans of just horror in general, just to see kind of what we like and break down why we like it. So today, vampire movies, very important to us, mm-hmm. um, despite not appearing in our top five. It's almost <laughs> like they're in a category under they, themselves. They are. Honestly, we could probably sit here and do a whole nother hour and a half episode, and instead of just our top five favorite horror movies for us, it would just be our top five vampire movies absolutely i don't see why we couldn't do a whole another countdown on that <laughs> i mean you know if someone wants it if we get enough people that request it uh we've had some pretty kick-ass interaction with people on tiktok about this so uh we'll kind of get to that later but uh yeah. we're really excited about it so Tremendously if, you know so it, you know back to it if we want if we want a top five vampire let's let's go right and so today we're just going to kind of be delving in into the genre as a whole and we thought the best place to really start is the original vampire itself, Count Dracula. Mm-hmm. So Count Dracula, I mean, we've talked a lot about film, but let's talk about the origin of Dracula in general in mm-hmm. the Bram Stoker novel, uh, where Count Dracula first appears in fiction and in literature, mm-hmm. and then Bram Stoker's novel then adapted into several upon several films featuring the titular character of Count Dracula. Yeah. Uh, Count Dracula has probably the first portrayal, of course, being Universal Pictures, 1931, the original Dracula, starring Bella Lugosi, directed by Todd Browning. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the most influential movies in not just horror, but film in general. Yeah. Just just, this film's origins and roots were there in that film. Well, and it's, you know, obviously uh, a lot of movies followed suit with with Dracula from Universal, but... That image alone, even now, to this day, you walk into a Halloween store around Halloween and you see a Dracula mask. That imagery, everybody knows the Dracula imagery. It's one of the most iconic things in horror movie history. Absolutely. And it all started with Bela Lugosi in that film. <laughs> Bela Lugosi might probably be 
the actor most well known for playing Dracula, whether people know his name or not. That's yeah. the funny thing. It's like, but when you think of Dracula, when you think of vampires in general, I think the first image in people's head is Bella Lugosi's Count mm-hmm. Dracula, the universal Count Dracula. Yeah. Widow's Peak. Oh, popped collar right. cape. Such red an iconic lining. look. Yeah. You know, the, the white, stark white face, like all of that is. Uh, immediately, you know, I think no matter what generation you are, because again, that image of that typical vampire Dracula is just on so many things. Right. If, if yeah, the only other Dracula, the only other count I think of in general is Count Chocula, and that's a completely He's different got a look. But speak. yes, those are probably <laughs> yes, those are probably the two most well-known vampires. I mean, even to the point where we're seeing it. Uh, parodied in like mm-hmm. you know not to we'll, we'll get to this later but like hotel transylvania yeah you know it's yeah. like adam sandler's blah, blah, blah. dracula is is hilarious mm-hmm. but it is very much in the same vein as bella lugosi so yeah. bella lugosi starts probably the visual representation of, of dracula yeah but then dracula was you know we have so many different iterations throughout history mm-hmm. um before before Dracula, though, I guess we should live, give an asterisk there because in 1922, mm-hmm. we got one of the most iconic vampire movies of all time before that, Nosferatu, which, of course, is yeah. an adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula before they were able to have the rights. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and he, uh, Nosferatu was one of those movies as a child that freaked me the fuck out. His long fingers, the silhouette, the shadows... I mean, you know, it's it's one thing. It, it is a movie that as a young child, it leaves something to your imagination with it being silent. You know, you almost start to hear the voice of what he would sound like as you're watching him. But those fingers and the, the silhouette of his shadow coming down those stairs terrifies those me. Those stark white eyes, the sharp oh, nose. Absolutely. It, it's it's Brilliant tremendous. Movie. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. F.W. Morneau directed it. You know, a lot of legends surrounding it. One of my favorite, again, not to get too far off topic here, we're talking about the origins of vampire movies, but if you love Nosferatu, I highly recommend 1999's Shadow of the Vampire. It's a film that is about the lore and the legends surrounding the making of Nosferatu. Mm. Uh, Willem Dafoe plays Max Schreck as if Max Schreck was an actual vampire. Wow. John Malkovich plays F.W. Marnow. It is... One of the most crazy pieces of fiction, and and I absolutely adore everything. I wish it was available, you know, on home video because I would snatch it up in a heartbeat. Yeah, for sure. That's that's something I've not even seen. Oh, it's a wild, it's a wild film, and it's yeah. Maybe we'll find a clip of it, be able to post it, uh, you know, oh, on that'd social be great. media later. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm gonna uh, hunt and scour for that. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we have Nosferatu, we have Dracula, mm-hmm. we have so many different portrayals. Like, we have two very different portrayals in the early going of vampire cinema. Um, and then from there, you know, several different iterations. I feel like it was one of those characters that just kind of caught fire after the universal picture. Right. There's going to be countless. I mean, you know, there's the big names that you think of, you know, with Christopher Lee being the next huge one for me. But there's going to be so many movies. There's B-movies, there's huge movies, there's blockbusters that all have Dracula. There, It would almost be hard for us to get all in, 
in one episode. Oh, just absolutely. the people who've portrayed Dracula. Yeah, Christopher Lee, one of the most noteworthy, of course. Yes. Then you of course you have uh, a few different actors along the way that have played Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most recent being Luke Evans. Yeah. Uh, very underrated portrayal of Dracula in my you opinion. You know, Dracula Untold is a movie that it does some really different things, obviously, um, you know, from the, the typical Dracula story. But even the imagery, there's some really cool stuff in that movie that even if it's not the greatest Dracula movie, the parts where you see him like fly with the fucking swarms of bats, that's amazing. It's so kick-ass. It is a it's a breathtaking movie visually. I really wish it got more love, but you know, yeah. it deserves it it deserves some of the criticisms. But right. the reason so I, I reason the reason I go to Luke Evans is because I kinda wanna circle back mm-hmm. and talk about perhaps our favorite portrayal of Count Dracula. You hear my big sigh over here, huh? Oh, I do. I do. Uh, <laughs> Every, all I, it's like, everyone All knows. I have to say, uh, uh, any to, if you want to be romantic to your partner, just literally look them <laughs> in the eye and say, I have crossed oceans of time to find you. It will <sighs> instantly make everybody in the room swoon whether Absolutely. you want them to or not. So, of course, we're talking about 1992's Bram Stoker's Dracula, Gary Oldman performing the titular Dracula character, and of course, directed by the legendary Francis Ford Coppola of Godfather fame. Yeah. His huge cast, in addition to Gary Oldman, in probably his greatest performance of his career, and that's saying something with it being Gary Oldman. Sure, he's a chameleon, as we've said a thousand times over, but that role is just probably one of my favorites it just can't be beat for me it really can't you factor in Winona Ryder yeah uh, playing the female lead uh, and Keanu Reeves with his really bad British accent I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> of course uh, and then you factor in uh, one of my favorite performances Tom Waits yeah as uh, Renfield just yeah. <laughs> terrific like what like what made anybody think Tom Waits Renfield, like that will forever no be one idea. of the best casting decisions, in my opinion. And then there's the brides. Oh, the brides. There's some of drag- freaky scenes in that movie. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, but everything from the the score to you know just your visuals, the castle, you know the the flashback scenes where you see Vlad with the red armor on, like every oh, the red inch armor of that movie is was so well beautiful. done. Beautiful. The aesthetics are phenomenal. Um, you know, obviously you have amazing actors and Gary Oldman, you've got some weak actors and the support, but, you know, kind of some surprise, like, you know, uh, Carrie, uh, Carrie Ells yeah. is in that movie. As Aunt Sir Anthony Hopkins Anthony plays the Hopkins, legendary Van yeah, Helsing. Exactly. I mean, it, it's, it's stacked. It's a loaded movie. It is a beautiful movie. Cinematically, it's just gorgeous. Like the outfit that Gary Oldman wears when he's Dracula and he's in the streets and he's talking oh. to Mina. And he does the see me. See me. Oh, yes. That scene. Uh, his He is that just. top hat. He plays him so romantically, so dramatically, yeah. so theatrically. It is one of the greatest performances it's, in cinema, let alone best portrayals yes. of Dracula. It's tragic, romantic, and beautiful. It's all fronts. Uh, and then you, 
uh, kind of come forward and you get Gerard Butler in Dracula 2000. Yeah, I say I was gonna kind of gloss over that. But you, you really wouldn't <laughs> no, let that one go. No. I, 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 I'll be honest. I love Gerard Butler. I love Dracula 2000. He was a better Phantom. He should have stayed there. Well, you know, he was great as the Phantom. He was terrific as Leonidas. He just had this oh, yeah. very awkward stop along the way where he played Dracula. And that movie, I I say it's it's the most appropriate title, Dracula Two Thousand, because it's literally what every vampire movie looked like yeah. in the late nineties and early two thousands. It had club scenes, it mm-hmm. had that electronic music score to it, it had people in leather, people wearing sunglasses, people with tight shirts. It was just like for some reason that became the vampire aesthetic of that era, the late nineties, early two thousands. Don't know Absolutely. why. Don't know what kind of marketing led to that, but it was uh it, it really gave us an entire culture. It did. And uh it it was also another one of those movies that had the the fun movie lineup on the front with the cast kind of shifting we towards the center. We talked about that last week in Slashers, yeah. the sexy cast <laughs> the on sexy the front cast. of the poster. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, you know, he's he is phenomenal and I don't think that he necessarily makes the movie bad. There's a lot no. that just kind of made it cheesy. But again, as we've said before, it's just a horror movie that you can enjoy no matter what the percentage score it has. Right. Yeah, terrific point. Um but so I think that like those are some of the most noteworthy Draculas we like. Mm-hmm. If you think we should have talked about anybody else, please let us know on all of our socials and feel free to email us horrorzoidpod at gmail.com. We're happy to hear your thoughts and see what you think about uh, the best portrayals of Dracula. But uh, we do want to talk about some of the other types of great vampires that there are out there in the world of film mm-hmm. because it's not just Dracula that's out there that we've right. seen the vampire lore evolve from Bram Stoker's story of bloodsuckers to really incorporating more of the traditional folklore, that kind of new, I, I say the New Englandy kind of mm-hmm. folksy backgrounds of vampires, you know, where they yeah. would talk about the, the belief in vampires kind of stems from the fact that you would bury corpses and this, like the skin would shrink around the skeleton, oh, making yeah. it look like hair mm-hmm. and nails had grown, making it think people were undead. Which, of course, back then, you know, we didn't have zombies. We had vampires. That's right. what people thought the undead were. But they were vampires. If you came back to life from the dead, you were a vampire. And some of these other types of movies have explored that. Some of them explored new origins where, for some reason, their skin uh, is glitter. Oh. I mean. It's the skin of a killer. It's it's there. I mean, like, it's low-hanging fruit. We might we got to talk about yeah. it. But, I mean, you know. I was not the kind of girl that got into Twilight. I was the kind of girl who was into Lestat, right? Yes. So, but I can't deny growing up through it and knowing and seeing the phenomenon that happened around us with the Twilight movies, right? And It is, it is crazy to think about how much of a pop culture craze that was because yeah. it's very rare that you live through a pop culture phenomenon, but you kind of have that awareness that it is a pop culture phenomenon and that's what twilight was it was like kind of our first meta pop culture situation yeah and i mean you know we were we were in the midst of harry potter phenomenon as well and a lot of different things going on and even now you know we've got a superhero movie every other month and a new show every three months almost it feels like but there was something about twilight that is fascinating and i love seeing the people that are my age who were teens when those books started coming out and they 
they react to it on TikTok and watch the movies and they laugh at it and go, oh my God, this was bad, but I love it. Yeah, it's become a punchline. And to yeah. some of us, it was always a punchline, especially yeah. those of us who... We love the horror origins of vampires. Sure. I think Twilight became kind of a punchline because we really appreciated it. And I think most of us understood, of course, there was some bitterness in the horror community towards mm-hmm. this mainstreamy vampire kind of thing, soap opery kind of thing. Right, because we want vampire movies to go wild and crazy, but for all different reasons. Right, we but want John Carpenter's vampires. We didn't want pretty... <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't want Twilight. We wanted John yeah. Carpenter, James Woods blowing shit up kind yeah. of vampire movies. Yeah. Um, but I, so Twilight became a punchline because although some of us could respect it in the sense mm-hmm. that, Hey, it's vampires. Can we really be upset that vampires are getting some love? Right. Yes, if some little preachy. tween girl wants to, you know, say, yeah. have a team Edward or a team Jacob shirt on like, cool. You know, that's, I, I mean, who knows what they're going to read next and get into next. Exactly. And, you know, even though Twilight in itself is a really cheesy, weird <laughs> romance and, um, I just know if I was a vampire, I wouldn't want to go back to high school. But, you know, there are some elements that I've seen with the movies that, you know, you do still have some some violence and things. And it's just the fact that they're constantly pretty with constantly pretty eyes. And then they sparkle in the fucking sunlight. I want something like Marcus from Underworld that flies after you relentlessly in a beastly form and then rips heads off. Like that's the shit that I want to so see. So we're we're kind of we're kind of t- doing it casually here, but we're kind of touching <laughs> upon some of the different types of vampires that there are. And uh, you know, while we're talking about the kind of violent kind of vampire movies, I think one thing that you and I agree on is one of our favorite violent vampire movies is 2007's 30 Days of Night. Yes. 30 Days of Night is one of those rare vampire movies that comes along. It's like it feels like that we didn't have any warning about it. And it feels like afterwards, a lot of people don't talk about it the way they did. It was just this. Yeah, it had I feel this like weird... for, it's underrated a little as a so vampire much. movie. But then there's so many people that that talk about it and, and really like it. Because I remember seeing those that, and I, I hate that I don't know because I'm not good with names. So get used to that. But I remember seeing the artwork on the comics for 30 Days a Night at the comic book store. And that alone, like, kind of hooked me in, and I always wanted, I always wanted to buy the comics. So whenever the movie was coming out, I was stoked about it. Like, they're freaky looking, and they're scary. They're really scary vampires. They are. They're one of the most terrifying designs I've ever seen. Is that one vampire in the movie who's bald, and he has just this very unique, odd kind of prosthetic thing going on in his face. Yeah. Danny Houston playing the leader of the vampire cult is one of the best villain performances ever. Like I always, I, you and I joke about it, but one of my favorite scenes, one of the most impactful scenes in a horror movie is when he's standing there and this girl says something about, Oh my God, or Oh God. And he just literally pauses, looks down at her and says, no God. Like that is one of the most chilling deliveries of a villainous line I've ever seen in any film. Yeah. And, you know, Josh Hartnett, of course, we grew up with him. He's a protagonist to us. Like, he was the protagonist in every teen movie that we watched. You know, he was, you know, H2O, the faculty. And, of course, he becomes 30 Days a Night. We're like, yeah, of course, we're cheering for you again, Josh Hartnett. Yeah, of course. Terrific hero in the movie. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, 30 Days of Night, highly underrated in the world of, uh, of vampire films. I feel like it doesn't get talked about a lot. No. Um, and I think, 
the next one that we talk about that I'm going to kind of push into is probably my favorite. And I'm just going to say I would classify it as leather clad nightclub vampires. So like you I get, call them the blade vampires. <laughs> you get blade, you get underworld, you get queen of the damned, let's be honest. And I'm, yeah, so we're let's just settle in folks. We're going to talk about queen of the damned in pretty intense yeah, fashion. Yeah. Um but you know nothing was more amazing and even in the newest season of what we do in the shadows, they talk about the scene in blade with I want a nightclub with the blood sprinklers. Like, that's what Nadja says. Yes, like, the blood sprinklers. Who can that ever forget that? That scene is, if you were like, hey, Natalie, pick your top three favorite scenes in a vampire movie, that would easily be in my top three. You that know. scene is amazing. Like, people make parody videos of it. We've recently seen it on TikTok where it's like me and the vampire nightclub and these motherfuckers walk in and right. it's like shit. <laughs> like I love seeing that stuff. And and Blade is just they're fun movies with cheesy lines, especially when you throw Ryan Reynolds into the mix. And they're all just really fun, but they have that same feel. Um, you know, like like underworld even does there's all these pretty vampires but it's violent and you get cool action scenes and cool chase scenes right you had and everyone's pretty people. Wearing, wearing leather for some right. fucking reason right. which they is had- why queen of the damned you know he comes out on stage all the time he's in these leather pants you know he comes in he's got a little fishnet yeah, shirt Townsend on. wear any item that wasn't leather in that movie or like a shirt that actually wasn't see-through i don't right honestly it was always think it was so. transparent tops and leather pants but like, i'm not Townsend. complaining because Stuart townsend is a cardboard cut out of a wet dream well he filled it out yeah, yeah we'll say it that way honestly yeah queen of the dam though is just one of those rare movies that encapsulated everything that vampire movies were in the early 2000s late 90s 90s. I know we were talking about yeah. Dracula 2000, but Queen of the Damned, in my opinion, was a much bigger deal mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. First off, it's part of the Lestat saga. Yeah, you know, it was made famous by Anne Rice. We see the R. first R. film, and we see the first film in '94 with Interview with the Vampire, and then it Ugh. just went through all these alterations and yeah. changes before we ended up with 2001's Queen of the Damned. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stuart Townsend, we mentioned playing Lestat doing a terrific job just is yeah. as, as you know all due respect to tom cruise for some reason Stuart townsend when i think lestat i think of Stuart townsend rock star uh you know lead singer of the band it's just it's like that is the image i have in my head when i think of lestat and i and i agree on one one end but i also love that they represent their decades really well because i think I, that is something important to note as well that's a yeah, great point because tom cruise also you get that Lestat whenever he was reckless and didn't care, which is kind of, you know, Lestat's character, but kind of in a different way, where Stuart Townsend's Lestat is the I don't care, reckless, fuck around and find out kind of way. And they, they both call, have he's their... He's the Iron Man of vampires, <laughs> because it's like how Tony Stark comes out at the end of, two, of Iron Man, and he goes, I am Iron Man. It's like, that's what Lestat did in Queen of the Damned. Come out, like, come out wherever you are. Yeah, and like, I love the scene where the journalists are just like snarkily asking him questions oh, yeah. like, what do the other vampires think? And he's just straight come up, he's like, come back to my room and like, I'll help you find out he's, later. He's like, yeah, he's like, they're going to fucking kill me for spilling right. these secrets. He's like, I'm not joking. Exactly. It was it was terrific in the sense that it was, it was, uh, it was a great adaptation. Yeah. It was... Um, unique to say the least 
And I think the one of the things we have to note is the soundtrack by Jonathan oh, yes. Davis, who Absolutely. didn't have that album. Yeah. And the you know, the artists that they had to come in to do the songs for the release, obviously all of us hated that we didn't get the Jonathan Davis tracks for so long. Yeah. But, you know, you have Chester Bennington, one of the greatest yep. vocalists of all time. You have Jay Gordon. You bring in David from Disturbed. You've got all these amazing people that came in and actually did the yep. songs for the album release. But just hearing Jonathan Davis's voice in that movie, you know, coming out, dubbing over Stuart Townsend, who sat there and learned it all and had to perform it all, basically. it's It just makes it the total package for The a soundtrack movie. really rounds it out, because yeah. you have an aesthetic, you have the acting that fits the decade, and when I say that, I mean it's not great acting by any means. It is very no. stiff, very robotic. Like, the mm-hmm. leads in the movie clearly are not... They're not. They're There's not some the weird greatest. chemistry there, but you also yeah. get, you know, I I really like Marius. I I can't think of the guy's name. Oh, I love I love Marius. Marius in that movie is a whole movie yeah. in and of itself. He's sassy, like the leather or the the velvet jackets that he has oh, on and stuff. He is, and then so of course Aaliyah. Aaliyah, who plays Akasha, this ancient vampire in Queen of the Damned, is just who has this strange, interesting fascinating romantic beautiful gorgeous courtship mm-hmm. with Stuart townsend's lestat character yeah and i loved it because we get to see kind of lestat in interview with the vampire you know you see that movie first you, lestat comes off very alpha but then we kind of see him take a back seat to akasha yeah which is very i love that kind of switch that role reversal there mm-hmm. where we see lestat kind of take a back seat to somebody yeah and Stuart townsend again kind of fits that he does, and and their chemistry, I think, on screen was phenomenal, and it gave us <laughs> Deftones, oh. and their scene gave and us House one of, of the Lies. sexiest so- scenes in movie history to me. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like their chemistry was really good compared to some of the other yeah. casting members, male or female, in mm-hmm. the movie. But it is, it is it's the movie is a whole vibe, like the whole rock star thing, and the, the billboards in the background of the movies, and... You get a Jonathan Davis cameo trying to scalp tickets outside, yeah. and it's just everything about that movie's. Like I said, it's phenomenal. kind of it's kind of a time capsule of everything yeah, from that time period. Uh, we kind of touched upon it, but I think we uh, would love to kind of talk more about Interview with the Vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Cruise plays Lestat, and Brad Pitt plays Louis the Lion Court, who is his. Uh, you know, his, his closest confidant, you know, and, and of course he sires Louie. Mm-hmm. And then we get Christian Slater playing the journalist who is conducting the interview with the vampire. Yep. The the interview being conducted with Louie. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, Kirsten Dunst in one of her earliest performances. Phenomenal performance. Amazing. And who can forget one of my favorites, Antonio Banderas <laughs> as Armand. And yeah. a Guillermo's favorite, too. Yeah. Yeah. We love you, Guillermo. You're our favorite, even if you're not a vampire. <laughs> uh, but Interview with the Vampire, probably one of the more well-known vampire movies yeah. in cinema history, one of the most successful as far as how it grossed. It was it, it was, it was almost, I wouldn't say it was quite to that level, it was almost the same level phenomenon as Twilight. It just didn't get any more movies yeah. for a long period of time because things were a little bit more a little bit different back then yeah exactly. for some reason studios didn't buy the rights to whole series they would just yeah. buy the rights to like 
individual things and let them lapse. Well, and I and think it was there just weren't a whole just, messy situation. There weren't just teens eating up, you know, the young adult novels. Right. It was geared more different. towards. It felt like it was geared more towards the housewives, you know, of the of the early to mid nineties. Honestly, yeah. that's who they loved. You know, it's like those were the ones like who would the buy the grocery store magazines. Right. It was like, so it was, right. Well, it was trying to bridge the gap between the weird goth kids and their parents, I feel like. Because, yeah, yeah it, it really was kind of this unique blend of the those 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 mom types that they like with the Brad Pitts and the Tom Cruises and the, <laughs> with the goth kids like with the vampire movies. So exactly. It was it was they tried, you know, respect exactly. the effort. Right. For sure. Um, so let's go ahead and, uh, we had posted a video on our TikTok, which is Horrorzoid Pod. So follow us there. We love to interact with you guys. Um, and we got a, a lot of... a strange week on TikTok for it, was, us. it was. Uh, but apparently you guys love vampires as much as we do because we've gotten a lot of good interaction on our video, uh, that was just kind of asking you guys about what some of your favorite vampire movies are or what you'd like to hear us talk about. Uh, so we're going to shout out a few people, um, especially if they've mentioned something that we've not seen, um, because that's something too, that interacting with you guys, obviously, uh, we have full-time jobs. We can't watch movies all day. Um, so there's going to be a lot of movies we've never seen. So first one that we've gotten a few times, uh, here on TikTok is Lost Boys. Well, who doesn't love Lost Boys? Right. It's, I know you and I, you and I have a deep fondness for it. I think mm-hmm. we watch we we watch it multiple times every year. For some reason, it's just one of those movies that we put on. It's a comfort movie for us. It, it is, yeah, no no better term for it. The soundtrack, the uh, the saxophone scene. Yep. Yeah. You know? uh, oh, the saxophone scene. Tim Capello. <laughs> if oh, if you don't know what that is, like you got it. Google it. Yeah. Just like Lost Boys saxophone. That's it. Right. If you are listening to this and you're like, I don't have time to watch the whole movie. Of course you don't. You're listening to our podcast. Yeah. But st- like, just pause it for a moment. Go to YouTube. Look up Lost Boys saxophone scene. Experience that glory, and then go home and watch the movie later after you're done listening to this. Yeah. Uh, but Lost Boys uh featured so many great '80s staples. You had. You know, first off, you had the Corys, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't uh, listening to this may not know, but those two were two of the hottest deals. Oh, yeah. They were like Zach and Cody or Drake and Josh. And I was for, in love with them right. as a young girl. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Corys were a big deal, and they yeah. did this fun, cheeky little horror movie directed by Joel Schumacher called The Lost Boys, and some other actors in it. Kiefer Sutherland plays the, uh, not the... He he plays one of the main vampires of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of an ensemble thing they have going on there. But uh, he is uh, he definitely takes on the speaking role for the vampires, as you can see. Very other than Alex Winter, the other vampires in the group don't talk much. Probably aren't yeah. very the be- weren't the best actors they're, for the '80s. Well, they're they're just the lackeys. They're you cute know. though. They are cute. <laughs> <laughs> they're all cute. And then you get Jason Patrick. Uh, uh, you know, who is plays the brother of Corey Haim in the film, mm-hmm. um, who is, you know, spoiler alert, uh, turned into a vampire. Wow. And <laughs> Gee. Yeah. And uh, it's, but it's, it's, it's kind of played like a, a horror movie meets comedy almost. There's a yeah. lot of comedy, but there is some genuine horror to it, especially when you see the vampires take on their true form. Well, and it kind of uh, it gives me something that I've recently found out thanks to Movie Talk. 
that I really love when a group of random people band together to do something in a movie, and that kind of has the vibes. Oh my gosh, yes. You're like, like I know exactly what you're talking about. It's mm-hmm. like that. It was a trope of the late '80s and early right. '90s, right? Where, yeah, like these like ragtag go- like group of, yeah, these ragtag group of people get together to fight off a common enemy. Yeah, this one being the vampires. Yeah, not just like you know one or two people, but it's like this kid who finds strangers working in a comic book shop in Santa Carlos. Like, you ought to read this comic. It's about vampires. You mean the Frog Brothers? Right. Like they're the shit. Who doesn't love the Frog Brothers? So. You know, thanks. We had, a, like I said, a lot of people mentioning Lost Boys. I'm glad to know that there's a lot of people that love it. So we've got Swole Beards and Kosara, uh, Robert Mathis, 211, who also mentioned Dracula Untold, was the only person that mentioned that. So I held my promise. I said that it may be mentioned, and we did. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah Dracula Untold, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was... Uh, it was another attempt at Universal to try to reboot the monster verse, and unfortunately, it didn't do well for right. good reason. It was it was not the most impressive vampire or no. Dracula movie I've ever seen. But Luke Evans again, great performance by him. I respect the effort. It was just it's it's like the 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 real big thing that's been plaguing Universal lately is they're trying to be like Marvel, and you can see it in this movie. Yeah, and yeah, that's just not going to work. That's not why people are going into these movies. Exactly. Uh, another one that uh, we had some shout outs uh, looks like uh, Kenneth Smith 065 and I'm sorry if I'm butchering this uh, Freddie Aparicio 19 John Carpenter's Vampires. Now I hadn't seen this movie probably since I was 15 at a house party and I don't even think I was paying much attention probably shouldn't have even been watching it at 15. But we actually just rewatched this one. Literally right before we recorded this. Yes, because you guys mentioning it, it's been, again, so long. Uh, you said you barely remember. I barely remember any details. It. I just remember James Woods and yeah. his general James Woods and shittiness. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, soundtrack is phenomenal. Vibes well, are phenomenal. Well, John Carpenter. Well, yeah, John Carpenter. Um, you know, you got a lot of cheesy action movie lines. Uh, but it, it, it's definitely fun. I like the vampires. I love the concept that you get with Valak. You know, his whole backstory with the Catholic Church and a reverse exorcism. Yeah, the first movie I've ever seen to feature a reverse exorcism. And that's Genius. how we got the uh, OG vampire. Yeah, it was, it was uh, just... The fucking church, man. <laughs> it, it, it left my jaw drop. Like, like yeah. I said, I remember I, I watched it years ago. I was probably early teens when I saw it. And I couldn't respect and appreciate what it brought to the table. But now watching it again, my gosh, it is just... Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a terrific vampire movie. And I see why you guys recommended it. And I see the fondness that you have for it. Because mm-hmm. I don't remember it being as good as it was when we just finished it. Now, I will say, compared to... Uh, basically all of the other vampire movies we've mentioned, there is a lot of homophobia and sexism in that movie. It, well, it's some just... some dialogue didn't age well, and I don't think it's necessarily the movie itself. It's just there's some really shitty characters. Uh, Mr. Crow is a an asshole. Well, it's again, it's James Woods, but it, <laughs> yeah, it's also it symptomatic of the times. And, yeah. and no, you know, and at first I just I can't say enough. Not defending it, everything that was yeah. done and said back in those days was wrong and needs to For be corrected sure. and fixed. I cannot stress that enough. But yeah. it was a sign of the times. It was. It, it was wasn't where, the only movie where right. we saw no. a very toxic masculine character who. Yeah 
uh, has no problem pushing a woman around and saying some kind of yeah. homophobic James things. James Woods and Daniel Baldwin's characters both in that movie were just. Oof. It, it it was uh it brought a it was very it was a toxic masculinity kind of movie yeah before we knew what toxic masculinity kind of was before Gillette taught us what toxic uh, masculinity yeah. is yeah so, um you know it, it it but again it's it's it, this time capsule of where yeah. the world was at the time and uh but I give John Carpenter credit you know it may not be the best script but gosh what he did visually with that movie. For what he was sure. able to bring to the table and just make you feel from that movie. And yeah. aesthetically, what he brought to that movie, it somehow felt old but new. Yeah. It somehow felt classic but inspired. Mm-hmm. It was truly something to behold. And, you know, if you, you know, understood if, if, if you don't like certain dialogue yeah. or certain elements, but if, you, if you're one of those people who can get past it and you can bring yourself to watch it with all mm-hmm. those things considered... I think you will be very impressed with what John Carpenter was able to accomplish with vampires. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely seen worse character writing. Uh, but it was pretty uh, pretty cringe. So uh, moving on to another comment. I think this might be the last one I'm going to shout out here. Is Creep It Real Customs. Thanks for being a mutual. They put Twilight dot dot dot. All right, let me stop. And they said, I'm a go Lost Boys and one of my all-time favorites. So thank you to anyone that said this. Fright Night. Fright Night. Fright Night is a one-of-a-kind vampire movie. And it's one of those ones, strangely enough, I saw later in life. Natalie actually introduced me to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of flew under my radar. I always kind of thought it was a very cheesy kind of vampire movie and it is it really is like people were not lying to me when they told me that they just didn't tell me how good it was at being a cheesy vampire movie yeah it has everything it has like the very schlocky kind of b-movie feel to it especially when you get into uh roddy mcdowell's uh, peter vincent character and Mm -hmm. the show that he has the public access show that he has which obviously i think we might be a little inspired by ourselves with with the the visual visual I can't even say it. <laughs> the visuals of his show within the movie and then things that we grew up with you know you've got Elvira uh, obviously we watched Joe Bob Briggs which is you know right. a horror host just in a kind of a different vibe well and here in our neck of the woods we had a famous one called Sammy Terry Sammy Terry yeah and I don't exactly. know if anybody else remembers him if you are you know if you remember that from your childhood definitely shout us out because it means yes. we have a lot more in common than you think absolutely um, absolutely but yeah the horror host concept was great and then you of course you have Charlie the main character of Fright Night who mm-hmm. uh, has a who believes a vampire has moved next door to him. And everybody thinks he's crazy and kooky and stupid until you realize he actually does have a vampire living next door to him, played (laughs) by Chris Sarandon. Oh, Chris Sarandon. He was a treat. Oh, he was. And he, Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge is one of the most iconic vampires, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. I love everything about his performance. Everything. I do too. He, like, he is one of those guys that you look at and you're like, he's a handsome man. But it mm-hmm. wasn't until Friday night you're like, oh, he's, the oh, he's scene, sexy. Let me tell you something. The scene whenever Charlie comes downstairs and Jerry Dandridge is standing in the living room. He's got that yes. coat oh, and the, the coat. scarf on. Yeah. And he's just so smug about being in his house. Right. It's just, I mean, he just 
oozes it. And then there's oh, yeah. the club scene. Well, like the club scene. Before you get to that, like the scene where he's spying on him and he sees him kind of like the the courting. The oh yeah, he's with of the hot the, of lady the hot next lady. door. And yeah. it's like, and he just like the way he kind of looks at even just looking at Charlie, you're like. Why is why is why did Chris Sarandon just turn on one hundred percent sex appeal for this movie? Like, is that the start of sexy vampires? Can we thank Chris I, Sarandon? Yeah, you know, and, and Tom Tom Holland, and director Tom, Tom Holland, exactly. for giving us sexy vampires. Yes, I I think we can say that because let's blame them. Uh, even though you get this. Uh, you know, kind of the the style that you get with Lost Boys and a couple of others at the time as well, where they were only like really scary vampires when they turn around and they have the prosthetics on and their nails are longer and their eyes are yellow. Like that was a whole vibe. It was. It, yeah, there's... Fright Night brought so many unique things to the table. And you talk about the mm-hmm. prosthetics, but I think the design on Amy... Oh, After yeah. she is transformed into a vampire, her is big the old one, smile. Oh yeah, that big those the the big jowls of yeah. teeth that they give her. I think her look like Jerry is terrifying, but mm-hmm. Amy's look is way scarier. Okay, but can film. we talk about Evil Ed? Evil Ed! Oh my gosh, we haven't even <laughs> talked about Evil Ed. Like, like when we're like when we're so excited about this movie, like if you yeah. haven't seen it and you don't understand why we're excited, please go watch it. Fright Night is one of the most yeah. fun vampire movies. You will ever watch. And also, don't sleep on the remake. Do not sleep on the remake. I don't it care what you It is a true remake, by say. the way. It is. And you get a really cool cameo in that movie. But the casting and, uh, and the way they updated it, you know, to kind of change. Instead of having this old-timey horror host, you have this magician oh, Chris Angel magician. type played by David Tennant in leather jeans that are leather pants that are way too tight and like, so far from Doctor Who it's not even funny <laughs> and he's got this fake mustache and he performs these magic shows and it's all kind of a cult inspired I think that is the most brilliant way to update Peter Vincent's character Agreed. I think David Tennant brought something wonderful to that film. He brings yeah. this fun playfulness, but at the same time, this very serious uh, acting mm-hmm. ability to it. In, in, a, in a film that features, you know, some pretty hot stars from the time. You know, and Anton Yelkin was in it. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Mintz Ploss, mm-hmm. Imogen Poots was in it. Like great young cast at the time. Yeah. Also featuring Tony Collette, horror icon, icon at this point. I am your mother. That's another movie and another story for another time. But, you know, that's, yeah, that's what, that's what we think of when we think of Tony Collette. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, Fright Night, very different kind of vampire movie, but terrific, enjoyable, fun. Mm-hmm. Very fun. And it's, it's a, it's a wonderful palate cleanser of vampire movies. If you're uh-huh. marathoning vampire yeah. movies and you're just like, we've seen a lot of blood, a lot of gore, a lot of serious vampire mm-hmm. movies. Put on Fright Night. It's yeah. going to be the perfect way to... It's still blood and gore, but like fun and different. Fun. You're right. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> it's fun it's blood. Like, just girly make things. blood fun, guys. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what Fright Night is. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, it was it was really cool to see some of the people that mentioned, mentioned Fright Night. Um, I forgot there is another one. So Mox Lawn Ibus said, I'll be the odd man out just to present a new title, Blood Red Skies. So I actually looked this one up because it's one I've not seen and will one definitely I seen either. Exactly. Go on our watch list. Pretty uh new movie as well, it looks like. Um, but the general idea that that you get when you Google Blood Red Sky 
is uh, basically a mom has to unleash a secret to protect her son uh, during a plane hijacking. So clearly she's probably a vampire if it's being recommended as a vampire movie for us. Um, but I hope that maybe we can revisit that one in a future episode because that is going to be a new movie for us and hopefully a few other people who I'm sure it will be. need a vampire movie to watch. Yeah, if it's flown under the radar for us, I'm sure it's flown under the radar for other people. Not that we watch every vampire movie, <laughs> right. but you know, it's just one of those ones. It's not one of the ones you hear mentioned often. So thank you for bringing that one up. We love mm-hmm. when people bring new movies to our attention. It's not often that we hear new suggestions we like right. you know you hear us talking like sure we've just scratched the surface on vampire movies but we feel like we're we've seen a ton of them at this point yeah and we the fact that you can introduce us to new vampire movies new movies in a genre we already love uh, one movie i want to mention that has been on my watch list forever and i think other people need to check out too just based on the description alone is a movie called bliss it is on shutter it's a vampire movie uh, that's very different. It uh, all I know from the plot, so I don't want to. I can't spoil anything because I haven't seen it either. Mm-hmm. But I need to. It is basically takes uh, uh, vampirism and translates it to it like drug addiction. Oh, so okay. it is a very new, interesting take on it. Uh, respect the uh, attempt to try to bring something new to the table. And again, it's been on my watch list forever. I need to sit down and watch it. And I think once I do, I'm going to finally. I, I think once I finally watch it, I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it because it, it's 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 right up my alley. It's it's something familiar yet something new and uncharted, and I can't wait to discover it. So I think, I think you should all go great. watch it too. Yeah, and that you know what you just said. I think uh, we'll kind of shoot through this really fast here, but uh, something we had kind of talked about when we were uh, discussing doing a vampire show was the different types of vampires. You know, of course, you have your Typical fang-bearing bloodsuckers. Obviously, in Twilight, they're very different. Right. You know, we've they don't touched have upon fangs. some of those yeah, categories already. We've touched on some, but I think the thing that's interesting, what you what you mentioned, is um, something that kind of made me think of um, Only Lovers Left Alive, where they have to worry about what blood they actually ingest because humans are disgusting creatures with which disease, i love that basically. premise alone is that yeah, yeah. you got to be careful because humans are disgusting and right. that's the truth honestly that's, that's the message you know, we should all take we from. uh we put a lot of nasty shit into our bodies so the idea of these vampires having to try to find pure blood and you know go to blood donation bags and stuff like that is pretty fascinating to it's me. one of the most beautifully and visually striking films uh jim jarmusch is a very visual filmmaker he's mm-hmm. very it's he he is able to bring fashion and style into his films in a way that I think is uh, unlike any other filmmaker. And this film is no different. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a good amount of scenes in the film take place in Tangier. And I think the way he shows that city, the way he films it, is makes it... No film has made me want to visit a location more than what that film did. It, yeah. it really made that city look so gorgeous yeah. from this standpoint that I don't think you would see otherwise. No, not at all. And I think that's something, you know, besides just the types of vampires that's cool with movies is seeing all the different settings that you get. Um, like you get in uh, What We Do in the Shadows when we yeah. see New Zealand vampires. Exactly. And how they live. Yeah. Uh, literally, because it is a mockumentary. Mockumentary, <laughs> which, you know, uh, I was uh, foreign to the movie. And I was just, when the first season, I only had maybe half of it out on Hulu. And I was just looking for something new to watch. And I stumbled across uh, the first season of What We Do in the Shadows. 
and just thought it was the most hilarious shit I'd ever seen. Um, and we just ate it up. I think we watched it the first season a dozen times before the second season came out. And Easily. in that show, you get so many different types of creatures, but you also get a psychic vampire and an emotional vampire. Right. And we haven't seen psychic and emotional vampires represented a lot in media. No. Uh, they've been written about, they've been talked about, but very rarely do they get shown. I think it's harder to show that and harder to display that. But I think the way what mm-hmm. we do in the shadows has presented Colin Robinson, mm-hmm. one of my favorite characters <laughs> yeah. in any television show in history. It, it really shows you, I think it's a great way to digest what an energy psychic vampire is capable of. Because mm-hmm. trying to explain it to somebody, it's it's difficult until you explain it. It's like, you know that one annoying guy that you fucking hate <laughs> at work? Yeah. That you wants mean to tell you about the boring tasks of what kind of trash bags he got. And- right. You know, the the types of brown that go with brown. Like, yeah. it's The types of brown that go with brown. Yes, <laughs> that guy. The, we all know that guy. He's the perfect representation. And then, you know, you get Evie, the emotional vampire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everyone has those, the, the pity party kind of people that just want to tell you everything that's wrong and can never see anything happen. And if you don't life. think you know an emotional vampire, go through your contacts, find a cousin. I guarantee <laughs> you, you have a cousin that is the emotional vampire. That yes. cousin is like... My car broke down. Really? This is the fifth time this has happened, you know, in today. Can right. you stop? <laughs> exactly. Yes. We, that is the emotional vampire in your life. Yes. And uh, shifting again to just different types, one that we recently liked, um, even if part of the show has always been kind of sketchy, um, the American Horror Story. Red Tide. Red Tide. You know, you create vampires by taking a pill that makes you cr- your artistic abilities soar and succeed, but you have to eat people. There's a catch. So I get to be a great artist, and this podcast is going to be super successful, but all I have to do is eat some people. I, That's think, the I see the gears turning in your head. You're, I you're mean, thinking you about know. it. And, you know, if, look, if Jim O'Hare is offering me a drug that's going to make me a creative genius, <laughs> and again, all I've got to do is, you know, maybe I, maybe you, 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 maybe you little eat chomp, some people, a little, little chomp, chomp here or there, a little nib, nib, little nibble. little nibble. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially, again, if it's Jim O'Hare, like, there's not a lot of things I won't do if Jim O'Hare right. asks me. He is a, he's a charismatic man, one of my favorite actors. Uh, he's one of those few actors I'll sit and watch anything he's in. So mm-hmm. anytime he pops up on American Horror Story, I'm like, well, I guess I'm settled in for the season. <laughs> exactly. He's he's pretty pretty amazing. You also get uh, Evan Peters in drag. I mean, Evan can Peters. We, can is we talk about that? It's yeah. like, I know that has nothing to do with fucking vampires, <laughs> but I just like Evan Peters I in mean, drag. He's a vampire alone in is, the show, so it's okay. he is a vampire. But that's the selling point alone for me. If you would have just said, like, look, this is about vampires. I'm like, BFD, American Horror Story doing vampires. What's new? And it's like, no, 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 wait. Evan Peters. Yeah, I'm listening. In drag. Fuck. A thousand percent. You have me. You've gripped me. Let's go. Sign me up. Where do I sit? Oh, my goodness. Well, we went off on a tangent this is, there. This is we, what you get, guys. We stan Evan Peters in this house. Yes, this isn't this is an Evan Peters stanship. If yes. you do not agree, <laughs> you are welcome to leave. The door is right there. Knob's been polished. You can oh, find it. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to just uh, glaze over that and go to another similar type of psychic vampire that we get represented. 
um, even though I think a lot of people don't consider it this, but I do, and I think other people do, isn't Dr. Sleep. Yes. A terrific, yeah, dude, I love that you bring that up because it's it, like when we were talking about this episode and kind of outlining things mm-hmm. and talking about the different kinds of vampires, when you said Dr. Sleep, I was almost getting ready to look at you and be like, what are you, what the hell do you mean? And no, yeah. I thought about it. And there's, and honestly, it's probably one of the most hardest hitting scenes in the movie Ooh, is where we really yeah. get to see their powers demonstrated as vampiric in nature as it really can be. Right. Um, they, I mean, they do, when they drain the energy of some of these people and leave them for dead um, or go to transform them, it mm-hmm. is just so jarring to witness uh but mike flanagan genius of course yeah. who else could do this but mike flanagan he'll have a whole episode here eventually oh, we, yes yeah we're, we're gonna devote whole episodes to certain people mike flanagan one of them so don't be surprised when that comes down the pipeline yeah but it's it's it, and dr sleep of course the sequel to the shining so you have the overlook hotel you have the shining now all of a sudden you're adding energy vampires to the shining universe yeah a universe that i would have never thought could have been more expansive in what Stephen, the way Stephen King had written it, mm-hmm. he goes and follows it up, you know, almost 30 years later with Dr. Sleep. And you're just like, my yeah. goodness, how could you make this more intense than you already did? You just, you just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating concept. And I think yeah. it's something I like because I like the idea of like energy draining type things. Um, so that energy vampire, I think it's just really, really cool. No matter what level it is, whether it's, you know, literally like soul sucking in a way, Mm -hmm. um, or it's Colin Robinson telling you about his weekend plans. Right. Well, and one thing that we talk about with, with Dr. Sleep being a Stephen King adaptation, it's not King's first take on vampires, No, you know, with Jerusalem, Jerusalem's lot, you know, Mm -hmm. Salem, you know, Salem's lot lot. and, uh, Kurt Barlow and, and Mm -hmm. just how, amazing that came out in the book and of course in the in the the tv miniseries you know directed by toby hooper i think there's people who've never even seen the full series but still know the scene with the little boy at the window oh the little boy in the window (laughs) is someone i hear people bring up all the time whenever we talk about scariest scenes oh yeah uh but it's it's a it's a fascinating film in and of itself you know dr sleep and the energy vampires salem's lot is more traditional vampires Mm -hmm. but both have stephen king's flair and touch to them and one thing i think stephen king doesn't get enough credit for is how he makes these incredible villains but he does he gives them a weakness and yet that weakness doesn't seem it doesn't seem like a flaw it just seems like a natural evolution of their species. Mm-hmm. You know how we see kind of Rose the Hat have certain limitations yeah. in regards to, you know, how she can overcome certain obstacles in Dr. Sleep and how ultimately Danny Torrance is able to overcome her in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, the book and the film have slightly different endings, but ultimately yeah. the message and the, the concept is the same. We see in Salem's Lot, those vampires, it, it, yeah, are, are truly just forces to be reckoned with but at the same time you know he does make he does add like a, a layer of vulnerability that doesn't seem like misplaced mm-hmm. i love Stephen yeah. the way Stephen king that's writes a great vampires. way to put it mm-hmm. yeah a hundred percent and um i think uh a lot of people actually really liked dr sleep more than the shining and i would almost say that's pretty true for me i think a lot of that is because i love the way flanagan films um, and portrays things, but there, there is a lot in Dr. Sleep that's just really beautiful. Um, 
as a standalone movie, even without ever seeing The Shining, because I feel like you can watch that and you see the little flashbacks and you kind of get enough of his past to be like, okay, I can I can watch this. I feel like the book is the same way too. Like I remember picking it up and thinking, oh, it's been forever since I've seen The Shining or since I've read The Shining. I'm very curious to see if I will be able to pick up on this or if I need to go reread it. No, the the book picks up the same way. It's you know, you do get glimpses into Danny's past, but ultimately it's a new story and a new a new narrative to focus on. And, and uh, again, you don't feel like you're jumping in the middle of anything. Right, right. Uh, last, last one I want to talk about is actually a personal favorite of mine. Uh, I did not see anyone mention the movie, um, even though it's directed towards young adult uh and the movie really doesn't do it justice and i know you know where i'm going with this of course i do um darren shan's cirque du freak the vampire's assistant is a really fun movie as itself um even if it takes a lot of liberties from the book and i know you've never read the novels um i love them enough that i have a quote tattooed on my arm for it but and when yeah when i was looking for a christmas gift a couple <laughs> years ago my first thought was i have to get you the entire series so yes the yes. cirque de freak series is now sitting on our shelf right now because yeah. it is natalie a natalie's a huge darren shan fan she's mm-hmm. a shan stan. shan stan and uh she has she has demonata she has cirque de freak um and kept telling me forever you need to watch vampire's assistant yeah and, and it's just fun oh it, it's one of the most fun vampire movies i've i've you know, had the pleasure of watching you like circus aesthetic and and sideshow stuff which is ultimately how it starts with them going it to is, the yeah. sideshow yeah at first it's a movie about you know, a sideshow but you've got these two two younger boys that are probably like middle schoolers or something uh, you know, go to the show and one's super obsessed with vampires and somehow recognizes a vampire on stage from one of his books. Uh, but he doesn't get to be a vampire because Darren does. But one of the cool things that I really like about them that they've touched very briefly on in the movie is that they don't ever kill people. They just go in while they're sleeping and they take a little bit and then they leave and that's just how they are. Uh, but if you want to be it's the very evil, YA novel yeah. vampire, it's a very YA novel way to get a, but, get a, a, around the whole vamp yeah. vampirism. But it, it also gives a antagonist by making the the group that do kill people and you do mean join my favorite people. character, Mister Desmond Tiny, Desmond Des Tiny, Des Destiny. <gasps> Mind blown. <laughs> Illuminati <laughs> confirmed. Whoa, 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 okay, whoa, whoa. so like, not to spoil anything in the books, but he's like big bad boy. He like the vampires have nothing on him, but he is a, a brilliant uh, asshole in the movie. He, yeah, it, it's a terrific antagonist to go along with great yeah. protagonist. Yeah, uh, vampires assistant kind of took me by surprise because. I remember when it first came out. It it was it came along two thousand nine, if I remember right, when the film was released. Yeah, about that. So it came out around the time of the Twilight craze, mm-hmm. and with a cast like Josh Hutcherson playing one of the main characters, who was just in like everything. He yeah, and, and you know he was going on to play in the Hunger Games, and it was just one of those things that had that very teen feel to it. Even though you have a great mm-hmm. cast with John C. Riley, Salma Hayek. Uh, wonderful adult actors, but at the same time, 
and a very teen feel to it. Yeah. And, and of course it does because it is a young adult novel written by Darren Shan. But it's I remember coming along. I think it just came out around the wrong time. And I think it would have been a bigger hit had it not been competing with Twilight and had the stigma of Twilight. I think it had yeah. two things going against it that were both related to Twilight. Well, and, you know, some of the other things, too, is... Um, and even even Darren Shan himself has kind of mentioned it after seeing the movie. But the books, you know, they, they start pretty tame. But Darren Shan, even as a young adult horror novelist, he gets really gruesome and he gets really depressing and he gets very, it is very down in the, nitty, in the nitty gritty. Yeah. So, you know, Demonata is probably one of my favorite series. Clearly with the name, you know, you've got a lot of demon stuff. Um, and it's really weird and really creepy and a lot of gross uh, Stranger Things season four subtitle kind of dialogue. Mm. Uh, you want, you, you've already won <laughs> me over. But uh, Cirque de Freak is a pretty serious book. And I, I think that's one thing with the movie is I wish that they had taken it a little more serious instead of trying to make a fun little cutesy romance vampire movie because they kind of they added in a, a character that's not in the books to try to make a romance out of it and i think that ultimately kind of hurts it yeah it, 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 there are elements that could have been better and when you explain the differences between the novel and the film to me it makes perfect sense mm -hmm. you know why it would uh why it would kind of earn this negative reputation i think it had a lot going for it but unfortunately it also had some cons that played against it and yeah uh, cr you know, created the the or, or really defeated the need for a sequel. Yeah. Even though it, it really felt like it could have been primed for it a kind long of Percy legacy. Jacksoned itself. It did. Yeah. You know, it, even it, if it got a sequel, but a lot of people hated it too. Right. Well, it's you know, I th neither here nor there. Yeah, yeah. We we could we could do a whole episode <laughs> on that. But this is a horror <laughs> podcast, not fantasy. So, yeah. but yeah, with 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 Cirque de Freak Vampires Assistant, it felt like it was poised for more, but at the same mm -hmm. time, it just came out around around the wrong time had a few negatives going for it yeah. with the way with some of the liberties they took with the plot and it just but it's fun and i would yeah, shot itself even in the foot, if it's, as you said even if it's not too horary uh you know the way we like it it's still really fun and i think it ultimately kind of it can be one of the those movies that me and you had as kids you know, we were kind of talking about this the other day where there was stuff like The Little Vampire and there was Banicula and there was uh, Vampire's Breath and Goosebumps and all these mm -hmm. different things that as kids really kicked us into gear for our love of vampires. So, you know, some 10-year-old might watch Vampire's Assistant and absolutely go balls to the wall vampire uh, yeah i hope they do i mean there's no wrong way no. to you know enjoy horror movies and there's no wrong way to enjoy vampire movies and i think one thing you'll notice about some of the movies that we mentioned is they're all really fun yeah like yeah. i think that's one thing that vampires represent to us is they are a lot of fun there's immortality mm -hmm. there's this reckless nature to them yeah there's a and, I mean, the 30 element. days a night's not so, like, fun. It's but even pretty, then, like, it's, like, but, it's like this like, adventure survival <laughs> kind of thing. That's somebody's idea of fun. Yeah, but it's exciting, and it's it's fun to be a part yeah. of and watch, even if it's terrifying. But, you know, if you're like us, being scared is having fun. Right. Why else would do we like horror? But we want to be scared. We want That's fun to us. We yeah. want to get our heart racing. Exactly. We're, we're adrenaline junkies uh, from our couches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We 100%. get the best of both worlds. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, uh, and, you know, just to kind of start to wrap things up, just with the idea of from horror movies with our, our love with vampires and 
you know, we mentioned the kids shows and things, but we were really surrounded, you know, all over the place with it. You know, you mentioned Count Chocula earlier and, you know, that might just seem like a serial to some people, but to some of us, it's like Count Chocula came out once a year and it was the greatest fucking thing it was ever. Our, it was our gateway into horror. It's yeah. like, what's this guy on the serial box as a vampire? What's Who's a vampire? Blueberry? Who's yeah. Fruit Brew? I yeah. like these guys. Well, you know? for me, one gateway was I love comic books as a kid, and we've talked about uh, you know some of the some of the Blade comics and things like that. Love Blade. Uh-huh. I wasn't really uh, a huge Marvel movie, but they did vampires way better than DC ever could have. Honestly, so I love Blade, and I also love Morbius. And, you know, despite despite the film, <laughs> he's not talking the about film, the film. We haven't even but, seen it but, yet. But Michael Morbius in the comics as a Spider-Man villain, and then later an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. And so, like one of my favorite portrayals of a vampire, one of my favorite ways they've written a vampire was when Morbius got his own standalone series. It right. was truly beautiful and truly poetic. And uh, again, if you haven't read it, go check it out because it do- it's a, it's a terrific portrayal of vampires. It's darker, it's grittier, it's um, it, it's very it, it is noir. So mm-hmm. you know, expect that going into it, and it's a lot better than the movie. I can assure you that well, it's, it's think... not Morbin time. I... <laughs> I think that's one thing that sucked. Uh, besides seeing Jared Leto's face pop up for the trailer, we were really excited when we saw the trailer. For sure. Uh, but then it came out and we saw everyone's reviews. And we haven't watched it yet. And I know we're going to eventually watch it. Um, we do. With I'm going to win her over one of these days, guys. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think uh, one of my recent, recent favorites, though, that I can really say didn't disappoint and just major Mike Flanagan spoiler here. If you guys haven't watched it already, you should. But Midnight Mass. Yeah, we won't go into too many details because no, I think it gives no. too much away. I, I won't. But it does. To... It does go into the vampire genre. Yes. So if you were like hesitant, if you were on the fence about watching Midnight Mass, you know whether you weren't looking for something with a religious undertone to it, mm-hmm. or you just. Maybe you're not a fan of Bly Manor and Hill House, which how could you not be? Right. But say there was anything holding you back. Let me tell you, it does go into the vampire lore and legend, creates mm-hmm. its own kind of uh, narrative there, and you will be pleasantly surprised with how pleasantly. it fits into the genre so, it's so well. phenomenal. And it kind of uh, brings me a little full circle to John Carpenter's Vampires and my that I loved the way that they blended the Catholic Church and the vampires together. And that's all I'm going to say. And if you haven't watched Midnight Mass, just go watch it. Right. And we again, we, we're not here to talk about anything controversial. But no. uh, one of my favorite things with vampire movies is how they weave faith and religion into it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a positive or a negative light. I think it's just interesting to see the mythos uh, there that they're able to establish and evolve. And, everybody, and each filmmaker is able to make it their own. And yeah. again, John Carpenter kind of did that with vampires. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike Flanagan did it with Midnight Mass. Each filmmaker kind of has their own flair and flavor to it. And that's why I think the genre of vampire movies is going to live on and on because there's no wrong way to do it. Yeah. You know, even Twilight, for all its faults, you know, we're not going to sit here and say it's perfect by any means. But hey, it, it you know, it's, it is, it's, it's somebody's interpretation of vampires. Yeah. And love it or hate it, it's, it's got its fan base. We have our fan bases that we're a part of our fandoms that we love. And mm-hmm. these, the, you know, uh, whether you like queen of the damn sexy vampires or 30 days of night, brute vampires, or, you know, if, if you only like 
Bela Lugosi's Dracula. No yeah. matter what, we're all in the same boat. We love them for different reasons, and yeah. filmmakers are able to do different things with them. And again, it brings fun to the table. A hundred percent. I think I think that's a, a fantastic way to put it because mm-hmm. I feel like you can't ask anyone and ever hear them say no i don't like vampires yeah and if they do they're boring i don't want to hang out with them we don't need that kind of negativity yeah so we're gonna go hang out with people who (laughs) like vampire movies so on that note we will leave it with this yes one thing about living in santa carla i never could stomach all the damn vampires thank you for listening be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts new episodes drop every weekend Follow us on TikTok at Pod and send emails to HorrorZoidPod at gmail.com with your thoughts, questions, and stories for us to read on a future episode. To all our Zoids out there, stay scary.